so we are talking about living Christ for real. And I said for real for a reason in the title. And that is like so many people, especially in the West, have adopted, you know, Jesus as their religion, but they really don't walk with Jesus daily. And there's just a difference between the religion of Christianity and being a disciple of Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking a lot about here. So he's writing to the church at Philippi. Philippi is an outpost colony for Rome. Everybody there has Roman citizenship. It's been annexed by Rome. And so they have some significant heroes in their culture. The heroes for the city of Philippi are definitely going to be these kinds of people. First of all, athletes. So athletes, the biggest heroes in the place. You, you wouldn't know their names if I listed them for you. But if you went and looked at the archaeology, you would see stadium, you would see Colosseum. You would understand that this was a giant part of what happened in Philippi every week. Sport and games. And the best athletes were the heroes in the culture. Beyond just athletes, actors. So you also see theater in Philippi if you go there and look at the archaeology. In that context, actors have a lot of influence. They are the heroes of the culture. Two other types of people that are heroic in the the city of Philippi. One would be wealthy business people. So Rome is a class system. So the ones that are on top of that class, they they are viewed at least the the narrative describes them as heroic. And then finally, political or military leaders. These would be the heroes of Philippi. Now, just as we get started this morning, does that sound like the heroes anywhere else you've ever been, right? Athletes, actors, military, political leaders, wealthy people. These, this was Rome. And Philippi had totally embraced that and become a part of that. And, and, and the, the, the church of Philippi, this is who Paul's writing to. And he's telling them, hey, in the midst of all this, you really need to understand what it means to walk with Jesus. And so what I want to talk to you today about is redefining success as a disciple of Jesus, because, you know, the, when we hold up heroes, we say that's the pinnacle of success, right? We, they're successful because they can, they have this particular skill. Can you imagine, you're probably going to get mad, but just think about this for just a moment. Can you imagine that we pay someone millions of dollars to throw a ball? Right, that's that's success because their skill is so refined. It's um, and so this is what we do in our culture. And Paul is saying to the Church of Philippi, who did the same thing, "Hey, we've got to redefine success here." So that's where we come to you today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to begin in verse 12 of chapter three and read all the way through chapter four, verse one. And if you're our guest, we say this phrase, the main text, uh, the very words after the main text uh, reading. So here's what the scripture says. 
Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you. <clears throat> Even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject, subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You can be seated. So we are actually picking up right where Pastor Zach left off last Sunday in the middle of a thought. And all of this thought that we've just read actually harkens back to verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3. Now, Paul tells us to pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And it is actually this pursuit that reframes or redefines success for the follower of Jesus. Again, it harkens back to Philippians 3, 10 and 11 that says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So what is this upward call of God in Christ Jesus that we're supposed to pursue? Now, I want to detail that for you, but I want you to think big picture for one second. Paul is saying to all of these people who view success, athletes, actors, politicians, military leaders, wealthy business people, the best win is the resurrection of the dead in Christ. The best win, the biggest triumph is the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ. Everything else kind of pours from that in this uh, particular section of the letter. So I'll just detail what he details beginning in verse 12. He says this phrase a couple times, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. You're going to need that in a minute. But he says it a couple of times. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm still pursuing. I'm not perfect yet. But, verse 12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. So we begin to get some, some actions, some verbs. And this is I press on. It's all athletic imagery. It's all sports imagery. The reason is everybody sitting in the church hearing that letter that particular day, you know what they're into? Sports. Paul knows it. 
And he's using language that is athletic, that they understand that I press into this thing to make it my own, this fellowship of Jesus. I press into the faith, the gospel. I press in. That is to pursue. Uh, He says in verse 12 and 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Again, repeating the same sort of thing. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Again, this idea of I'm pressing in, I'm straining forward. Now he says, you know, I I forget what lies behind. What Paul's talking about there is everything he mentioned about himself in the last section of the letter, that I was a a Jew of Jews that I had the best resume of all the Jews and any of my, uh, of any of my peers, the best discipler Gamaliel. I was, uh, I had influence. I had authority. I memorized the scriptures. I, 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 I was the one they sent to round up people who weren't following, uh, the Jewish way, the Hebrew way. So he's saying all of that, I've left it behind. All of that work, all that life, all that accolade, I've left it behind to pursue Christ, to press into Christ, to strain forward, what verse 13 says, strain forward into what lies ahead. All these things, press, pursue, strain all these words sort of sort of yield, they, they bring to mind intentionality and difficulty. You don't strain forward if there's no difficulty to it. You don't press into it if there's no difficulty to it. It's all intentional. It's all difficult. But the prize, he's going to say, is amazing. So he strains forward. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on toward maturity. You know what the elementary doctrine of Christ is? That he died on a cross to save you from your sins. That's the elementary doctrine of Christ. You know, some people never move past that. Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sins. That's, that's lesson one. He says, <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. It's like, you don't have to keep going back there and get stuck there, but you move forward, you press on, you strain forward because Jesus died on a cross to save you from your sins. But that is lesson one. We press on, verse 14, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is this prize? Anybody like prizes? Anybody ever get, go get a Happy Meal just for the prize? Or uh, Cracker Jacks, the prize in the bottom. Remember that? So, uh, yeah, we, we like prizes. Paul is saying, like, this is, this is better than any athletic prize, any military conquest prize. This is, this is the prize, the upward call of Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Now, when my kids first started playing soccer really young the first league we put them in because we didn't know how how things were gonna go was fun fair positive soccer 
Because I'm not a fun, fair, positive soccer guy. And so uh, I, I like fun, fair, positive things, but not with soccer. So <clears throat> anyway, I was the coach because, you know, that's how it worked out. They couldn't get anybody. I was the coach playing fun, fair, positive soccer. There's one kid playing against us this it's a co-ed sort of five-year-old league and uh and this kid just keeps bulldozing my daughter right the oldest daughter who hasn't realized she's got this thing inside of her that can bulldoze him back yet <clears throat> and so uh i'm just you know it's fun fair positive soccer they've given us all the rules i've been through instructions i can say nothing they they just play on on game day which is like wow what can't say anything they just play and have fun how do they learn you know so anyway so that i hear my wife the background Haley, hit the ball and run over him <laughs> just make sure you hit the ball i'm like she's not fun fair or positive <laughs> right now yeah do that. That's exactly what you need to do, which she did, and we did not play fun, fair, positive soccer after that. Because in fun, fair, positive soccer, everybody gets a prize. Well, Paul is saying, everybody might run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Run like you want to win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. He's, he's harking back to what they know. Do you know how hard these people work to get a wreath? That was the prize, by the way, back then. To get a wreath, we could put it in our vernacular. To get a trophy, to get a ring. Do you know how hard these people work? How much time, how much investment, how much money to be the best? And yet, Paul is saying of our faith in the upward pursuit of God, call of God in Christ Jesus, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, we work that hard to receive an imperishable wreath. Now, what is this prize? Again, Philippians chapter 3, 10 and 11. It's, it's that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection of the dead like he did now again just for clarity's sake you're not trying to attain your salvation by doing good works by working harder that's the elementary doctrine already trumped that jesus died on a cross to save you from your sins there's nothing you can do to save yourself from your sins except believe that jesus is lord that he died on a cross that he was raised again and he did that to appease the wrath of god to justify you to make you righteous it's like he put a whole new robe on you and said you're righteous now but it's not because of you it's because of what he did on the cross right that's elementary paul's talking about things that we go on toward maturity that we run this race in order to win the prize and the ultimate prize is resurrection in christ peter said in first peter 5 10 and 11 and after you have suffered a little while 
the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's for eternity. Restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be the dominion forever. Amen. Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, that maturity, if you're mature in your faith, it means thinking like this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And he isn't hard on the ones that are immature. He just says, and, and if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal that also to you. But if you're mature, you have to look at this thing as a race that you're running and you have to press on, strain forward, run like you're going to receive the prize. Verse 16, he says, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. No matter the circumstances, continue in the faith. Hold true. Now, that's the pursuit. That's what the pursuit of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus looks like. The question that the people sitting in a house church in Philippi had to be asking was, okay, I know how to train to be an athlete because they all learned that in their gymnasium education that they got growing up. They know how to train for that. What do we have to do? to pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How do we do this? And Paul really gives them three things that they should should do. Here's the first one. As we answer the question, how do I live life with that kind of success in mind, the kind that is pursuing the upward call of God in Christ? He gives them three actions. First, he says, imitate me and others who walk with Jesus. This is in Philippians chapter 3, 17 to 19. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, for Western people, in a religious context, this sounds haughty or prideful. Imitate me. In fact, we would think to ourselves, like, maybe you're even thinking to yourself right now, I wish I had the confidence to say, imitate me. Paul was saying, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Now, he's not being haughty. He's not being prideful. He's already said about three times, I haven't already obtained it yet. I'm not perfect yet. He obviously knows how to repent. He obviously knows how to re-preach the gospel to himself when he needs grace. But he says, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. Now, Paul... He was a Jew of all Jews. He was a rabbi. He understands rabbinic discipleship. And this is the kind of discipleship that Jesus does. So one kind of discipleship would be to know as much as you could possibly know, as much content and much information and pass the the test. But rabbinic discipleship is let me show you how to walk. Paul is saying to them, imitate me, mimic me. Follow me. Remember what Jesus said on the shore of the seas of Galilee to his disciples? First thing he says, come follow me. Come imitate me. Come mimic me. This is rabbinic discipleship. Um, 
<clears throat> sometimes maybe we think that's that's weird like why would i mimic the faith of another, another person my my faith is intensely personal it's unique um it's not according to the scripture your faith is a community endeavor and if you know that it's not it's not intensely personal it affects all of us and it should be shaped in community so it's not intensely personal it's not unique you have unique circumstances and situations perhaps as an individual but but it's the same lord the same walk just learning to walk in in different circumstances so you should mimic or imitate one who, who who imitates Christ, who follows Christ. When I was a kid growing up in uh, Middle Tennessee, we had, I live in this neighborhood, and we had the whole sandlot thing going on every summer. It was awesome. So one of our, my friends, his name was Brad Hobbs. We were about fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, that kind of that age range. His dad put a pitching mound in their front yard. These are pretty big yards, like like not like here where we like, sleep two feet away from the next house you know but everybody had like half an acre or whatever there and so he put a pitcher's mound in in the front yard and then we made bases and every day till dark every day till dark in the summer we played uh baseball his dad wouldn't let us use a a real baseball so we used a, a real bat but a tennis ball his dad figured a tennis ball wouldn't go through the window but it it does it went through went through the window and so do you know that when we played that we had so much fun but we we like mimicked our heroes of the day every time so if i was pitching this is going to date me but i there's nothing i could do about it dan quisenberry had the best release it was this like weird sidearm like whoo and he would fall off the mound i wanted to be dan quisenberry when i when i was pitching he's a great pitcher when i batted i want to be carl yastrzemski all right so i don't even know if you know who that is but he had this batting stance where the bat was just like straight up and I would, I would, and they would call me, Yastrzemski's up, you know, and then, and then we would narrate the game because we didn't have iPhones and we had fun. And so uh, he would narrate the game. And then when I got on base, I wanted to steal bases. So I wanted to be like Ricky Henderson. So Ricky Henderson had this like amazing little stand. Like you knew he was going, but the catcher had no, he could not do anything about it. He knew he was going, but he was so fast. There's no way that he's going to throw him out. So I wanted to be there. We mimicked those guys because we wanted to be like them because they were great at what they did. We don't think anything about that. It's normal. But to say, I'm going to mimic someone who follows Jesus really well sounds weird to us. Paul's just saying it's normal. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul would say uh, this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Philippi isn't the only church he says that to. He says it to Corinth. He says it's in several different places in the text. It's just rabbinic discipleship. It's a mature Christian living in a way that a less mature Christian can watch and know how to walk. This is healthy. This is good. This is right. And so we need to think about that in two ways. First of all, who are we imitating? Who are we following? 
that really is ahead of us in the game, mature in a maturity way that that can help us when we don't know how to walk. And then who's behind us? Do you know you're making disciples? No matter if you know you're making disciples or not, you're making disciples. Uh, parents, grandparents, leaders at work, servants in the community, you're making disciples, whether you know you're making disciples or, or not. It's just what kind of disciples are you uh, making? So on this Israel trip every year, we have, we have, we'll have this line of like sometimes at 50, 60 people. I'll be in the front of the line. I have a, somebody working the, the back of the line, and all in between is 50 people, right? And we're teaching them the whole trip is come follow me. They don't know where they're going, what they're doing exactly. They try to Google, figure it out. But you get up in there, and um, I, I, was, I remember this one trip in particular. I had a person that was always like five or six people behind me, and this person – uh, believed he was the leader of the entire tour. And so that frustrated me, you know, so, yeah, that's weird. So uh, after two days of it, I was sick of it. This is how I usually go, two days, then confrontation. So, because uh, I'm not a fun, fair, positive guy, <laughs> deep in my core. And so, uh, so, but but there was a bigger lesson to be learned. And so I sat down with them, we we're eating, and uh, I, you know, hey, let's sit together for dinner. Yes, it's great. So we're eating, and I'm like, hey, have you, have you been to Israel before? He's like, no. I was like, huh. Well, how do you know, like, what the best way is to go every day, you know, all day? Because I'll look back and, like, you walked some other path. You're, you're, you're like a quarter of a mile from me. And guess what? Everybody that was behind you followed you, which is how discipleship works. And there's this one particular place. It's called Susida on the Sea of Galilee. In 1967, the Syrians, they, they, they bolted after the, the, the 1967 war, the Six Days War. And they left all the, these landmines all over the place. They didn't clean that up. They tossed them out the back on the way, you know, back to Syria through the Golan Heights. So guess what we learn as guides? Where the landmines are. So guess what that goober didn't know? Where the landmines are. So is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. Now they have great signs and all that kind of stuff. You should be able to see. Don't go there. But the point is this. if In that situation, he was making disciples and leading them on a path that was not the proper path. We do the same thing. So we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, pursue the upward call of God in Christ, imitate someone who is ahead of us in the game, walking with Jesus, and remember that people are watching how we walk too. This is maturity, right? It's one thing to say, Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sins. You're right. That's milk, it's elementary. I'm so grateful, and it is so good, but the way that we impact the world is pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and people follow. Now, here's the second thing. Not only imitate me as I imitate Christ, but the second piece of this, is Paul says they need to learn to live on earth as citizens of heaven. 
Learn to live on earth as citizens of heaven. If you look at Philippians 3, 20 to 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, imagine them gathered in a room, heroes, athletes, actors, politicians, military leaders, wealthy people. He says, you, that's success in Rome, but you're citizens of a different kingdom. You're citizens of heaven. You're going to pursue the upward call of Christ while you live here in Rome. Now, man, Philippi, the people there, everyone was proud of their citizenship because it's an outpost. It's been annexed. And so when it gets annexed, what Rome does is they make everyone that's a resident of the city a citizen of rome and with your citizenship it's like you got a new passport all of a sudden with your citizenship comes responsibility you're going to pay taxes but it also comes rights and the rights of rome the rights as a subject to the emperor the king of kings the rights of a citizen of the major superpower on the earth and so the the people of philippi are are proud of their citizenship they're grateful for it and paul's saying to them okay that's good but you're a citizen of heaven citizen of heaven so there's some interesting parallels between the emperor and jesus the emperor over rome do you know they 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 call him the king of kings and the reason they call him the king of kings is because he's over all the other kings in rome there's not just one king in rome there's lots of kings running lots of provinces in the roman occupation but the king of kings that's the emperor you know what we call jesus what the scripture calls jesus right the king of kings and lord of lords he is the king of kings there's lots of kings but there is one king of kings. And so both the emperor and Jesus and these kingdoms, both of them have the ability and the authority to subject the citizenship to rule. Okay, so the emperor, do you know that the emperor from Rome could lift a little finger and affect what happens to the citizenship in Philippi miles and miles and miles away? Philippi was always waiting for Rome to tell them what to do because they were citizens of Rome. They had to hear, how do we do business? How do we play politics? What are, who's in? Who's out these days? He is the king of kings, governing the Roman citizenship. Jesus is the king of kings. And it says in the scriptures that one day he will, he will subject all authority to himself every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord so the scriptures say so they both have this subjection power they both can subdue but jesus is unique and the kingdom of heaven is unique in that it, paul says over and over again that jesus not only has the ability to subdue you but he can also transform you which 
Caesar, he couldn't make you something new like Jesus could make you something new. Jesus was the only one that had this transformational power that Paul kept talking about that said that when this, this lowly body fails, when it dies... He will raise me at just the proper time and give me a glorious body like his glorious body. That's already, you know, Jesus had already been resurrected. There were already all the eyewitnesses. They had seen him. Paul was banking on the resurrection because of the resurrection of Jesus, banking on his own resurrection. He's saying Caesar could never do that. Jesus has the power not only to subdue, but to transform. See, it's a greater kingdom. It's eternal. Nobody talks about, you know, the existing um, Roman Empire anymore in the 21st century. Why? It's nil. It's null and void. I mean, you can go to Rome. Italy's not like great, thriving superpower. You know, they don't occupy what once they did occupy. Now, Turkey has it. Now, different, you know, you can see the footprints of Rome all over the place. Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey. But it's not there. They're not there. Because it was not eternal. It wasn't an eternal power. This is something that we need to get through our heads. 21st century Americans, we are really proud of our citizenship. We are. I'm really grateful to have the passport that I have. Grateful for all the rights and responsibilities that come with it. I'm happy to pay my taxes uh, because of the the rights that come with that. I want to do my uh, part. I also know it's fleeting at some, some level. Whether it's another 400 years, 800 years, I don't know. I don't know how long the United States of America is a superpower. But I do know one day it won't be. I know that. I also know whoever the existing political powers are in the United States of America, they can to a degree subdue me. Some ways that I hate and some ways that I I don't. But they can't transform me. They can't make me anything new. Only Jesus can transform me. Only Jesus can take this lowly body that will die and transform it into a glorious body like his. He's the only one that can make me uh, a person who was at war with God because of my sin into a child of God who's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So my citizenship is in heaven. So I walk the earth as a citizen of heaven whether I'm a, 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 a citizen of United States of America or a citizen of Mexico or Canada. I saw Canada last week. It was weird. Anybody been to Port Huron, Michigan? Come on. It was snowing already. It was crazy. You can see Canada from there. I was like, I'm so glad I'm flying home <laughs> after this. And so, yeah. Anyway, so the, the point is this. It doesn't matter where you're from. As a child of the king, the king of kings, that we walk as citizens of heaven. That means that we, this church, this place is an outpost for, this, for, for heaven. That it is, in fact, an embassy full of individual ambassadors that go out and represent Christ every day as citizens of heaven. 
Now, this is the plan. This is how the world changed. Paul just says this. Look, as you pursue the upper call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm in his way and the upward call of God in Christ. Choose his dominion as primary. And this is important for us to hear. And I think just as much as the church of Philippi needed this letter, uh, we also need to hear it. So how do we redefine success? I mean, the kingdom of God, there will be athletes and actors. But success is not determined by how fast someone threw a ball or how many stages they performed on. It was how they ran, how they walked with Jesus day in and day out. A lot of times at funerals, you know, we, we quote this verse, like so-and-so is with the Lord, and I'm certain that they heard, well done, good and faithful servant. That's success. So if you're ever at a funeral and you don't hear me say that, you'll know, like, that person... <laughs> You know, that's the inside scoop for you right there. If you don't hear that, something was up. I love you guys a lot. I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And as we close today, I just want to give us some time to pray. And I want you to ask God to speak to you about the things that we've just been hearing about, about your citizenship, about your pursuit, about the upward call of God and Christ in your life. So let me just give you some time. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, um, we just are thankful for this moment to stop and to hear from you. Thank you for your word and how clear it is and your spirit who guides us to understand its truth. Lord, for those that hear this message, I pray that you would call them to salvation. First and foremost, God, that you would humble those who don't know you yet, that they might know that you're the Savior and the King. You're the only one that can remedy our sin problem and make us right before God. God, would you draw people to yourself by your spirit in that way? Lord, I pray for many that are walking in a way that is is beautiful to you. I pray that you would give them persistence to press on, to strain toward the finish line, Father, to, to be intentional even in the difficulty and to run like 
like someone who wants to win. Father, we um, pray for many that they came to Christ and they, they were saved, but they really have never pursued the upward call of God and Christ Jesus in their own lives. I pray that you would awaken us to that call, that you have things for us to do every day, that you care about how we hear you and obey you and walk with you. And God, draw us by your kindness, by your spirit close. Help us to imitate people that walk closely with you. And Lord, for those that are behind us, watching us as maturing followers of Jesus, Lord, give us the grace we need to follow you well, that they might also follow you well. Thank you for this church, the blessing that they are. I pray your favor and blessing over them and every family and person represented here. Let us be a church that pursues the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We love you so much and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.